So as we get started this morning, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. And we're going to begin with verse 46. We're continuing our journey with Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. If you've been here any time over the last year or so, you've probably heard us uh, preach out of the book of Mark. And today we're going to look at a familiar story. One about the blind man named Bartimaeus. Many of you have heard this. Um, And even though it is familiar, my hope and prayer today is that we can find some nugget of truth that we can walk away with. And that we can continue to strengthen our walk with Christ as we leave here. So let's start reading at Mark 10, 46. And it says, Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of, Na- uh, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Lord, we just pray today that you would just minister through your word. I pray that you would help me to communicate effectively and clearly the things that you want us to hear today, and that we can have our hearts opened and our minds ready to receive that word, and that whatever that nugget of truth is that you are speaking to us, it would be loud and clear for each one of us. Thank you, Lord, for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So in our scripture focus today, we see that Jesus and his disciples are traveling together with a large crowd. At the beginning of chapter 10, we see that Jesus and his disciples have traveled into the region of Judea and actually even crossed the Jordan River. They've gone into that area for a little while, and it's during this time that Jesus deals with the question of divorce. We talked about that several weeks ago, and he also welcomes and blesses the little children, and he has his interaction with the rich young ruler. Then in verse 32, Jesus and his disciples begin the final journey to Jerusalem. Jesus once again at this point reminds them that he's going to be put to death. Talk about a way to kill the mood. You know, thank you Jesus for stealing all our joy, that you're going to die. But now everyone in the entourage becomes a little freaked out. Why are we even going still? I can just imagine the group asking themselves, and possibly even voicing the question to Jesus. Um, If you know you're going to die in Jerusalem don't you think we should head in a different direction? Hey, Jesus, maybe we should go down to Egypt. I hear the Nile and the pyramids are real lovely this time of year. But Jesus is resolute in what he needs to do. He's resolute in accomplishing his father's business. He is focused on getting to Jerusalem. And although dying on the cross is not an enjoyable thing to look forward to, Jesus knows the joy and the freedom that are about to come to mankind after his death on the cross. So he pushes ahead. And we read in verse 46 
that then they came to Jericho. And it's a little interesting that Mark doesn't give any details about what happens here. In fact, he just goes on and says, Then they came to Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples together with a loud crowd were leaving the city, so, you know, Jericho is kind of a pit stop. It's kind of a, a spot that they're just passing through. Nothing to see here, nothing real memorable to think about. But Jesus and the disciples quickly passed through, and they've taken care of any errands that they needed to in Jericho. Nothing noteworthy. Because Jesus is focused on his ultimate destination, Jerusalem. It's kind of like the times that you're getting ready to go on vacation, right? You are focused on getting on the road. You are focused on getting that trip going. You are heading from your home to your paradise away, right? You may be flying, you may be driving, but really the only thing on your mind is, we're getting there. And on vacation, nothing else is supposed to happen, right? You are supposed to travel there without any events. You you know, no kids are supposed to have to go to the bathroom 10 minutes into the car ride. You are supposed to just get there. You're supposed to have a lot of fun, eat a lot of food, you get down tonight, and then you come home. God is not supposed to ask you to do anything, right? I'm on vacation, God. You're not supposed to ask me to do anything. I'm just vacationing. You're just getting to your fabulous vacation destination. And if I didn't know any better, I might think that Jesus and his disciples were like this too. Jesus has Jerusalem in his line of sight. I'm getting from point A to point B. Nothing is supposed to happen. And he's focused and intent on what will be happening in just a few days. He knows what's coming ahead. He knows that the cross, in a way, is calling his name. So it's really on the outskirts of Jericho that Mark picks up the action. And we see that a blind man named Bartimaeus is on the roadside begging. And he hears that Jesus of Nazareth is about to pass by. So he begins to shout out to Jesus. He begins to cry out for Jesus to have mercy on him. But because the crowd and the disciples are tense about their journey, they're trying to shush him. They're trying to keep him quiet. They say, simmer down, blind man. Don't bother the good teacher. He's busy. Leave him alone. Go back to your begging. But instead of just accepting that response, Bartimaeus decides to shout even louder. And because of his shouting and carrying on, Jesus stops. Isn't it interesting that in the middle of all the noise, in the chaos of the crowd, that Jesus stopped. He stopped what he was doing, and he called for Bartimaeus to come to him. Here's the big thought that I want you to capture today, that Jesus allowed himself to be distracted because one of his precious people was calling out for help. Let me say that again. Jesus allowed himself to be distracted from his purpose, from his destination in Jerusalem, because one of his precious people was calling out for help. And as we have been saying already a lot this morning, Jesus was determined and focused on his mission, his need to get to Jerusalem and accomplish the Father's work. Yet, in spite of that focus, He heard someone calling out to him for mercy. So how did he respond? 
verse 49 again says that Jesus stopped. He then called Bartimaeus over and asked him, what do you want me to do for you? I think Jesus is obviously our perfect example of how we should live our lives and how we should live our lives for his glory, how we should pattern our lives, model ourselves after him, and that sometimes we need to allow ourselves to be distracted. We need to put aside the things that we deal with every day and do something maybe for his glory. Jesus stopped in the middle of of what he was doing, and he asked Bartimaeus what he wanted him to do for him. And if we are followers of Christ, we probably need to ask ourselves on a regular basis, am I willing to be distracted or interrupted in order to help someone in need? Am I ready to put aside my agenda and to-do list if I hear a cry for help from one of God's precious people? Am I listening for the cries in order to hear where I can help. And I have to stand up here today and confess that many times I absolutely stink at this. I am one who will get so in the zone that I have to do this. I have to get these five things done in the next hour, otherwise the world will fall apart. Right? Who, who else is with me? Okay, good. It's good to know that I am in good company here. But I can get so in the zone that I can become completely oblivious to what is going on around me. Even here at church, I can get so in the zone. Okay, I have to get to worship rehearsal. I have to take care of these four things between worship rehearsal and the beginning of service. Or I need to get this done before you service. And I just lose it. And there could be people around crying out for help. And I'm oblivious. So I have to confess that it is something that I have to work on. But I want to do better, and I want to be more open to hearing the cries of those around me. And it's not just here at church. It can be anywhere. So let me give you a simplistic example of how this might play out. I have a lot of material from camp this week. So, as I mentioned at the beginning, you know, we just came back from camp. And at camp, I was one of the color team captains. What that means is you're organizing your students who have your wristband, who are all, you know, I was the green team captain. So I get to wear green all week. Wow, does that get tiring. I want some change in wardrobe. Green is a good color, don't get me wrong. But you're organizing your team for all the different events. You're organizing them for the water balloon launch. You're organizing them for volleyball or basketball or soccer or speedball or carpet ball or whatever it might be. And on Wednesday afternoon, I was doing my color captain thing. We had just wrapped up our volleyball match. So they have sand pits up there at Spencer Lake, and usually you go barefoot, right? So I have my shoes. I'm about to put them on, but I have some campers that I've never met before in my life come up to me and say, um, can you come help us? We have a, a kid who isn't doing so hot in our cabin. He seems to have like passed out. I'm like, okay, let's go. <laughs> so mind you, throughout this whole story, I'm barefoot. Okay. So the cabin at least is just the next building over. I get in there and the, the, the young man is looking in pretty bad shape. 
His face is red hot. He's kind of slumped over in a chair, real sweaty looking, and, um, you know, just kind of try to take a quick look at what's going on and then see what needs to be done. You can see that he's breathing pretty fast and, and hard. I said, all right, get a cold, wet washcloth, put it on his head. I'm running for help. Okay, so the cabins are on one side of the road. The camp office is on the other side of the road. So here's Pastor Mitch running barefoot across the camp. I felt like it was one of those Olympic South African runners, you know, <laughs> that are barefoot, okay? I'm, I'm hightailing it across the camp because obviously someone's in need of help. They need some medical assistance quick. Run in, get, get the help. Luckily, I was able to ride in the cart over so I didn't have to run back across the road. So we get in there, he's at least now responding. Um, he's able to talk a little bit. We load him up into the, the cart. I ask the camp director, do you need me to come along? He says, yes. I said, do I, is there room? No, you're going to have to run. Okay. <laughs> Mind you, I'm barefoot again. So I get him loaded into the cart. They take off. Again, the camp nurse is even further away across the road. So here I am, Olympic South African runner again, you know, trying to get there as quickly as I can. I almost beat the go-kart, just by the way. Um, so proud achievement of the week. Yes, I know. But you see that the, this young man needed help. And as we got to the nurse, they're asking him questions, what happened, all those types of things. But just being available, being right there, and yes, maybe it was just, hey, you needed the obvious moment of, we need you to come help, someone is about to die. Okay, we, we get that, and we can respond to those types of things. But I'm thankful that I was able to help, because it gave me a connection with a student that I never would have seen. Because then what I was able to do is go, and I found the counselor, or the female leader of that church, uh, later on, and I asked, how is he doing the next day? I said, how is he doing? You know, is he, is he doing okay? I think I had seen him, but wasn't real sure. She said, you know what? He is doing great. They told him to take it easy. Um, they, they had taken him to the hospital, gave him some fluids, told him to take it easy. Yeah, you're at senior high camp. Which student is going to take it easy at camp, right? So apparently Wednesday night, He's at the service, and he's jumping up and down and doing all kinds of things during praise and worship. Yeah, he's really taking it easy. That's great. But what was awesome is that she said that not only was he doing fine physically, but this was a student that didn't normally go to their church. He was someone who came along, probably with a friend, and was just, you know, along for the ride. But she said that not only had he gotten saved at camp, but Wednesday night he got filled with the Holy Spirit and that God was doing some amazing things. And sometimes we think, you know, I just did a little thing. Yes, I said slap a washcloth on his head and, you know, ran like an Olympic runner. But sometimes we get to hear what's happened after the fact. And we get to see that, you know what, I now have a connection somewhat with that person. Does he know my name? Probably not. But I know what's happened to him. And I can see that God was doing some amazing things in his life as well. And I think that's pretty cool. So we all have opportunities to help people around us. People who are calling out for help. It may be that here at church, 
It may be at work or at school or maybe it's at the grocery or auto parts store that there's a cry for help or just you're talking with someone and something comes up and it just triggers that, you know what? Maybe I need to go a little deeper. It may be obvious like my camp experience where someone was crying for desperate help. Or you may have to watch and listen carefully over the noise of life around you and just kind of pick out, you know what, God, are you speaking that I need to do something here? They may be big monumental things such as saving a life or doing car repairs or paying their rent. Or they may be simple, ordinary things. Or at least we consider them simple and ordinary things. But they can be monumental to the person calling out for help. Things like watching their child, preparing a meal, smiling at someone, or just continuing to pray with someone for their need until it's met or there's some type of resolution to it. But as you reach out and you help someone nearby in their time of need, you can make a huge impact in their life. And it does not go unnoticed. In the Gospel of Matthew, we find the parable of the sheep and the goats. And in that parable, Jesus talks about people giving people food, those who are hungry, giving them something to drink, those who are thirsty, or providing hospitality for someone who may be without home or traveling or clothing to someone who is naked and destitute. And he says that whatever you do for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And he goes on to say that the opposite is also true. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. So today the question is this, what do you do in those situations? Do you respond to the cry and offer your assistance? Or do you choose to ignore it because it's not on your calendar? Or are you so focused that you are not even recognizing the opportunities that are around you? Now I mentioned earlier that Jesus allowed himself to be distracted because one of his precious people was calling out for help. And I realize that there may be several people here this morning who fall into the category of one of God's precious people who are calling for help. You may find yourself in a life situation where you just need help. You can't even perhaps relate to this first side because you are just ingrained in your situation and your need for help. You just need help from Jesus. You need a miraculous intervention. Or you need help from others. You need someone to just come alongside of you. So I want to share some thoughts from the other major character in this passage, Bartimaeus. And as we read through this passage, we only find a few details about Bartimaeus. We know that he is blind. We know that he sits by the road and he begs for assistance from those who pass by. And it's, it's a common thing at that time. No one's going to bat an eye at it. But we don't know how long he is blind. We don't know how long he's been a beggar. But even though we don't know or see a lot of these details in the text, I do think that Jesus, I'm sorry, that Bartimaeus knew about Jesus and knew some of the miracles that he had done. He had heard about this Jesus of Nazareth who's been going around Israel for the last few years. Look at verse 47 for a moment. It says, When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus apparently has heard of Jesus' teaching and miracles all throughout the region. 
He knows where he is from, that Jesus was from Nazareth. He knows Jesus' heritage, that he is the son of David. And because of what Bartimaeus knows, he thinks that this might be his chance. He might have an opportunity to have something done in his life. He figures that he at least needs to try. It's worth a shot, right? So he exercises just a little bit of faith because of what he knows about Jesus. The things that he's heard. He hears that Jesus is about to pass by, so he begins to cry out to grab Jesus' attention. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But his first shout out for Jesus really doesn't work. In fact, many in the crowd begin to shush Bartimaeus. Like we said before, they said, be quiet. Hush. Jesus doesn't have time for you. We've got to get to Jerusalem. He's got more important things to do than deal with you. And at this point, Bartimaeus has a choice. He can either quiet down and go back to begging, or he can keep trying to get Jesus the healer's attention. He decides to keep trying. And he shouts even louder and even more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I need your help. And it's with this persistence that I go back and I think of when my middle daughter, Kaylee, was two or three years old. She was beginning to talk more and more. And when she had something to say, she wanted to say it right away. Who's been there? Right, right? She wanted to make sure, though, that she had our attention first. So many times we would be sitting around the kitchen table. We had an oval table. At this point, it was just the four of us. Usually it was Amy on one side, I on the other, one of the kids sitting next to us. And Amy and I would be talking about the events of the day. Just catching up, I'd be home from work, those types of things. And Kaylee would want to share something. So she would stay, start to say to one of us, Wook at me, mommy. Or daddy, wook at me. Okay, yes, isn't that adorable? Now, we might be in the middle of a thought. You know, heaven forbid that you are trying to complete a sentence when your children are around, right? So, we would try to finish the thought or story and, and get through. But, for a two or three year old, that is an eternity, if you are trying to do that. So, if she needed to get our attention even more, she would firmly place her hand on my cheek. Ooh, let's do this side. Let's do this side. And turn my head toward her. Look at me, daddy. And then she would tell us what she had to say. Sometimes we have to go that extra mile and just be persistent in our prayer. We have to be persistent in what we're calling out to God for. Sometimes the need will be met right away, but not always. Other times it will take a while because God's timing to meet that need has not come yet. And I don't know why, but I know that God knows. He has a plan and he's working that all together. So sometimes we need to keep calling out to God for his help. And we should not let anyone or anything keep us from crying out to God for help continually. Sometimes that anyone or anything can even be ourselves, right? We say, oh, maybe it's not that important, or 
I don't want anyone to know. I don't want to bother anyone with this. But sometimes we just need to persist and pray and see God do his thing. And just at the point where you feel like it may not be worth persisting any longer, I want you to think of King David. Because in many of the Psalms, he would be pouring out his heart to God because of his difficult circumstances. You know, I've got an army coming to kill me. Or I'm thirsty because I've been running away from the, you know, before mentioned army. So he would call out to God for help. And in a few of the Psalms, he would specifically address God's ability to hear and respond. So here are a few of those Psalms. Psalm 86, 5 through 7 says, You are forgiving and good, O Lord, abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. When I am in distress, I call to you because you answer me. Isn't that good? Or also in Psalm 5, David writes, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. And at the end of that psalm, he closes out his thoughts with this. Let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy, and may you shelter them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For it is you who blesses the righteous man, O Lord. You surround them with favor as with a shield. God is faithful. And he sees you. He knows your need. And he loves you so much. He hears every word that you speak. He sees each tear that may fall from your face as you agonize over the situation. Continue to go to him with your cries for help. And know that he is a faithful God who watches over you. And then in Mark 10.51, we see that Bartimaeus made his request to Jesus. And he just stated it simply and very matter-of-factly. Jesus asked, what do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus simply said, Rabbi, I want to see. He got right to the point. He didn't add any flowery language or get super spiritual in his request. He just said, Jesus, I just want to see. And I think this is a great reminder for me, and hopefully for you as well, that we can be simple and straightforward when we come before God. When we cry out to him for help, we can just say it as it is. We don't have to get all King Jamesian or Shakespearean in our speech when we bring our requests to God. I don't have to say, O God Almighty, Lord of the highest hosts, I thinketh that I doth wanteth to regaineth my senses of sighteth. We don't have to speak like that. Thank God because that is a tongue twister in itself. But sometimes I feel that I have to get super spiritual, right? That I have to get right before I can even bring my request to God. That I have to close my eyes, squint my brow, and talk like someone from a Shakespearean play. But we don't have to. We can just come before God, plain and simple. Say, God, here's where I'm at. God, I want to see. Lord, I want my marriage restored. 
Lord, I just want my son or daughter to know you and to follow you. Jesus, I need to pay these bills. Lord, heal my grandpa's heart condition. Sometimes we just need to cry out to him, plain and simple. And then as Psalm 5 said, eagerly watch for him to respond. And then lastly, in verse 52, we read that Bartimaeus immediately received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. I think this is one of those little phrases that I have missed in all my life when I've read this in the past. But Bartimaeus responded to getting healed. He didn't just go on his merry way and say, Thanks, glad I can see. He decided to follow after Jesus. He continued on the road with him. He was determined that he wanted to follow Jesus because of what he had done just for his eyes. And he saw that Jesus was a model to pattern his life after. He knew that he no longer needed to sit by the road and beg, that he was now going to follow the one who not only brought sight to his physical eyes, but the one who could open the eyes of his spirit. The one who could and would transform his life completely. He determined to praise and worship Jesus, not just with his lips, but with his life by following him. So as we begin to wrap up this morning, I want you to just, again, look at the main players of this account and how they provide perspectives on living our lives as followers of Christ. Obviously, the first main player we see is Jesus, the one that we follow, the one that we should pattern our lives after. And in the midst of his focused journey to Jerusalem, he stopped and healed a blind man who was crying out to him for help. And when we look at Jesus in this account, we should ask, am I open to being distracted and interrupted to help one of his precious ones when they are calling for help? Am I willing to stop and meet that need, whether it's food or clothing or finances or something else? The other player is Bartimaeus, the blind man. We see him as an example of one who is persistent in prayer, who will not be deterred in crying out to God for help. He is also one who speaks plainly. He doesn't beat around the bush. And then he responds to what Jesus has done by surrendering his life and following after him. So when we look at Bartimaeus, we can ask ourselves, am I persistent in prayer for the things that I'm dealing with? Do I speak plainly? Do I just cut to the chase and say, God, here's where I'm at. I need your help. How do I respond when the answer does finally come? And as we read through the story, perhaps we identify with Jesus and say, I need to do a better job at this. Or, you know what? I do okay. Perhaps we identify with Bartimaeus and say, you know what? I need to be more persistent. I need to be more faithful in praying for the needs that I have. Maybe you identify with both. And you say, man, there are things that I can gain from both of these men's lives. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for just the truth and the power of your word. That as we read through it, we can glean 
some great insight into how we can live our lives and pattern our lives after you. And Lord, as you reveal things to our minds, as you reveal things to us and how we can continue to grow in you, I pray that you would help us to begin to implement them in our lives. That we can begin to make changes in our lives where they need to be. Lord, I pray that you would help those of us here today who see a little bit about Jesus that maybe we need to adjust. That maybe we need to be more open to hearing the cries for help around us. Maybe we need to listen for your precious ones who are calling out for help and seeing how we can help, how we can step in and meet that need or help them to find someone who can help meet that need. Lord, just deal with us on that.